Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show. And you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And, well, speaking of what we've been doing and reviewing, this time around I am sitting down with Dylan Wood and Simon Stewart to give a rundown on a bunch of our favorite gear that we've tested in 2023 for our final episode of the year. And so we chat about a range of bikes from short travel trail bikes to one big enduro bike, one e-bike, and a bunch of other odds and ends in gear mostly some soft goods that really impressed us over this year and we get into it about some other odds and ends as well including headset cable routing and a bunch more so as we talk about this kind of a mix of just our personal favorite stuff and some of the things that impressed us most for a variety of reasons so check it out and we will be back again next year with a whole lot more good stuff here so stay tuned for that and Thanks for listening. Happy holidays, everybody. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Dylan Wood and Simon Stewart. Well, Dylan, Simon, nice to sit down and chat bikes as always and do our little year-end roundup of some of our favorite stuff that we spent time on in the last year, 2023. And I guess it's maybe important to preface this that there are a variety of different ways to look at best or favorite pieces of gear. And we're going to touch on a mix of bikes and some other odds and ends too. But I think at least speaking for myself, the bikes that I'm about to call out are going to kind of cover a combination of things that I think are super impressive and well-rounded and easy to recommend to a wide swath of people, but then also some things that are, special because they are more niche and more oddball and uh hit a maybe a more narrowly targeted but just are special for the right person because they are doing something a bit unusual and so you know don't necessarily take these as are us saying that these are the best products for any and all use cases or the most versatile or the best for everybody but you know we'll kind of touch on why we like to give them thing and how that all comes together too. So to kick it off, Simon, what would you like to start with? Thanks, David. Yeah, that was that was a good introduction to what would be gear of the year. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about my choices. I was like, yep, yeah, they hit those marks for sure. Uh, the one uh, first one I'd like to bring up is the Score 2030. And, um, you know, when I wrote the flash review on this bike, I called out the geometry and I said, if I was to, if I was to take a blank piece of paper and sketch out my ideal geometry, it would be basically this exact bike. And I thought, well, how could I not include that into my gear of the year? Because it hits so many things for me and it checks so many boxes. Um, the I'd say of all the, I have to, I have to say now, say analog bikes, I suppose, because I did a lot of e-bike testing, but of all the analog bikes I did, the, this one really sort of resonated with me the most. Uh, the one I really look forward to riding. I still have it. It's cold and snowy out. I'm still getting out on it. Um, it's really bloody good. And it's a combination of all those things. It's geometry, it's travel, it's fit. It's all there for me. And um, 
Yeah, I I would easily recommend this to anybody, even if even if they were shopping in a category, a travel category above it, or even a travel category below it. I'm like, yeah, this is something you should try because it can do a lot of different things for a lot of different folks. That's a bold claim, and I mean, tell us more about what you think it actually specifically does so well. Then you said it sort of hits a nice middle ground for your personal preferences, at least on geometry and what have you, but ride characteristics what's so dialed about it yeah the 2030 you know i do gravitate typically towards longer travel bikes but this one and because of the geometry and i think how almost bottomless the the suspension feels it i didn't ever really feel like i was looking for more bike most of the time yeah of course you can overwhelm it if you do take it down something that's really steep and really chunky but Man, it really handles itself well. Here, here it is. It's a 64 and a half degree head angle. Okay, that's pretty slack for a 120, 140 bike, 120 rear, 140 front, and incredibly short chain stays, 429 millimeter chain stays. Like, yeah, those numbers typically don't see in the same um, geometry chart, right? Would you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Yes. But head yeah. nodding. Dylan doesn't. Do you not agree, Dylan? Out, out with it. No, I, I, I do agree. <laughs> I was just shaking my head because the because of how uh, you know those numbers don't really seem to go together. Yeah, they go well together, and they really go well for me. It kind of made me think about like I definitely gravitate uh, towards a shorter chain state bike. That's my preference. But that I'm full sure of that these days. I. I'm on longer chain stay bikes often enough to know now that I prefer shorter stays. 1000%. How about that for a bold statement? All right. I mean, just one man's opinion there, personal preferences and so on. Um, one thing. So when I reviewed the score, uh, 40, 60 LT a couple years back, their bigger, longer travel bike, uh, which also has a pretty slack head tube and pretty short chain stays relatively speaking. Uh, one of the things that I found with that bike was that it basically really wanted you to be quite aggressive about being over the front wheel to keep that weighted and felt like it didn't have a particularly big sweet spot as far as the body positioning that it was willing to accept in order to corner well because it was pretty easy just to get too far back, have all your weight on the rear wheel and have the front wheel start to push. Has that been something that has come up for you on the 2030 or not really? No, not at all. Uh, no, not, not at all. And I'm, I'm wondering if that has something to do with just it's, a, it's less travel, so it's a bit firmer and we're not going to sag in as much. So maybe not as fussy about body position as a result. No, I didn't have that. Um, I didn't have that at all happen. Fair enough. Well, yeah, no handles. Clearly handles something you've been enjoying I, and... Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, um, it is, you know, you do have some adjustability. You can adjust the headset, the head tube angle by a degree, but that requires pushing a cup out. So I don't really count that as really user adjustable for the most part. And, you know, it's a 2030. So the, the nomenclature is a bit confusing. Um, that means it can be a 120 or a 130 travel bike. But to make it 130 
have to either do a full service on your shock and pull out a travel limiter or get a new shock. So that's a little odd on their part. And they don't offer it as a 130 in any of their builds, which I, I think might be a bit of a miss from them. But there you have it. Those are the only couple of black eyes I see. Fair enough. Well, yeah, first look and flash review. I met her up on the site. You're working on the full review. That'll be up in a bit, but uh, good start there. And I guess we're kind of starting with some shorter travel stuff and working our way up a little bit in this list here. And on my list, there is the transition smuggler that I reviewed early in the year. And um, that one, I think, is it stood out for me as being just a really well-rounded shortish travel trail bike that's a little bit on the more aggressive side of things in terms of its geometry and handling mostly but that does a notably good job of being you know a little slot longer a little slacker than a lot of bikes in its travel range it's a 130 rear with a 140 fork um and consequently just a little bit more stable and a little bit more composed at speed than a lot of stuff in that kind of travel range, but without going so far down that road as to feel like it is kind of just turning itself into a big long travel bike with less and consequently worse suspension. It's kind of how I put it in the review. It's um, a little more composed when you start pushing it hard than most stuff in that travel range, but still pretty nimble, really fun on more mellow rolling smooth flowy trails too and so just as a bike for a reasonably skilled and at least moderately aggressive rider but that is fun on a huge range of trails and hard to get totally in over its head on anything short of you know the odd really steep and rough trail it's just super versatile and well-rounded and a bike that I would be super happy to just kind of throw in the truck and go take most places and have a real good time on it. Uh, so kind of that versatility and ability to just be a good time just about all of the time is really kind of what made that one stand out to me. Sounds a lot like the, um, sounds a lot like the score 2030. In terms of what we're saying we like about it, I think so. Yeah. Um, pretty different geometry and some other details. So perhaps an element of like us having different personal preferences and liking somewhat different bikes for similar things, if that makes sense. But yeah, I think we're kind of saying similar things about them for sure. Oh man, definitely. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to guess, cause I know from, you know, listening and, and us having these discussions quite often that you would gravitate towards a bike that has slightly longer chain stays or longer chain stays than what the score has usually. Yep. I, uh, didn't look it up, but I, I remember right. The smuggler is 440 millimeters for the large, um, and a 65 degree head tube angle. So, um, actually a touch steeper than the score, but then substantially longer chain stays. So kind of different proportioning and weight bias there for sure. Well, anyway, that said, Dylan, your turn. What do you got for us? Yeah, I've got another bike that is in this category, but it's, it's actually pretty different from the ones that you all are talking about. 
Um, I think a lot of bikes in this short travel trail category, you know, they're either trying to be a more aggressive XC bike or maybe a slightly more efficient trail bike. Um, the Cannondale Habit, I have really loved because it's just not trying to be anything other than a really playful, really fun trail bike. You know, it's, it's more sluggish than an XC bike. That's okay. It's less composed than a trail bike. Doesn't trick you into thinking it's any bigger or longer or more plush. And I'm fine with that too, because it's just a really playful, easy, you know, fun, quick to get in the air. Um, just really poppy and responsive bike that, you know, it, it sacrificed some things to get there, but it provides a, a different experience on the trail that I think is lacking in a lot of bikes today. Um, when I think about like some of my favorite bikes of like five or six years ago, when I hadn't, you know, started racing downhill or enduro or worrying about Strava KOMs. And I was just kind of trying to pop around on the trail, find little jumps and, you know, just have a good time out there. That's, that's really the kind of embodiment of the, this habit. Um, it's a really light bike for it's, it's under 30 pounds in a large which is getting pretty rare these days for a 140, 130 bike. And it definitely, you know, sacrifices some things to get there, like using an inline rock shock, deluxe shock with no piggyback and using a, a lyric or a pike instead of a lyric up front and, and things like that. But it's, you know, the, the, the build kit I'm testing, the Habit Carbon 1 is under six grand for that too which is pretty awesome. And, you know, you take a look at the geometry chart, everything's super modern with, you know, different chainstay lengths for each size, um, almost a 78 degree seat tube angle, which tends to be about my sweet spot, 65.5 degree head tube angle, 40 mil reach for a large. And it's just a really well-rounded, complete package with a lot of good value. That's just a lot of fun. And you can push it too if you want, you know, don't expect it to be as as glued to the trail and as composed as, you know, longer, heavier bikes with, with more travel. Um, you know, the, the Canyon Spectral comes to mind, Spectral 2.9, I'm thinking about that. But I think it's just a, a really awesome bike that is, is great for, you know, making the most out of every mile single track you get at your local trails. And, you know, you can even take it to the dirt jumps at the base and have a good time jibbing around down there too. And, you know, pretend you're even close to any of those 5010 guys and anything you can do on the bike and, you know, dream a little bit. But I think it's just a really, really good, good bike overall. Nice. Yeah. And then, well, kind of keep things rolling here. Staying short travel, but getting a bit weirder. Uh, one of my very favorite bikes of this last year was the Chromeg Darko, which 120 millimeter travel rear paired with a 150 travel fork steel front triangle and seat stays aluminum chain stay um and just basically what made that stand out is that it is one of the most well really the most full-on unapologetically aggressive descending bikes in that kind of travel range that i've ever been on and it does so at the expense of some pedaling efficiency it's not that quick and snappy for a 120 travel bike it pedals fine you know in the grand scheme of things it's but it's not um, just not as energetic and efficient feeling as one would generally expect from like in that travel range. 
and it's less engaging on flatter, more rolling, more mellow trails than most stuff in that kind of travel range. But it's also a 120 travel bike that I had a genuinely good time riding in the Whistler bike park a bunch and just going way harder on than you typically would want to on a bike with 120 millimeters rear travel. And, you know, that's kind of an oddball thing. It's probably not a bike for a lot of people, but just that combination of being short travel and really direct and lively while still feeling impressively composed when you're pushing it really hard and something steep and rough and fast for what it is, is pretty special and really, really fun if you kind of put it all together and do it right and potentially kind of painful if you don't. But just for being something that's really willing to just be different and quirky and a little bit niche, but do something very specific extremely well for not worrying about being super well-rounded and versatile and appealing to the exact middle section of the bell curve of the market. It's really special and it's got a few quirks. Uh, I'd wish the stack height was taller, the head tube super short and I needed to run a giant bar on it to get that up to where I wanted it to. And um, the, Reach is on the long side. I read the medium slash large size, which is comes in at a 490 millimeter reach. And um, I think it's not a bike that's going to suit some shorter folks as well, just because the sizing's a little funky. But if it clicks for you, it's not like anything I've been on. And I loved it personally. Sounds like a David bike. Yeah. I'd like to try it too. <laughs> It's interesting. All of us have these bikes in the 120, 130 um, category here on our list this year. It's kind of telling us to where I think industry did really well. Yeah. I forget who I was talking to this about, but uh, it might have been Luke that it feels like a couple of years ago, so much of the industry's attention was going toward making enduro bikes. And that was where a lot, you know, 160, 170 travel stuff was where all of the interest and new developments were coming. And I think that tide has shifted just a little bit, though I'm going to get to one of those in a minute here. But um, it has changed a little bit. And the fact that we are highlighting so many shorter travel bikes, I think, is noteworthy. I guess to move it on to something a bit different, Simon, what's next on your list? I have the Pivot Shuttle AM. So... I definitely have to include an e-bike in this since I tested more e-bikes than I did um, mountain bikes. And um, <laughs> so uh, I had to include one and I had to include one and um, that had the Bosch uh, drive system in it because that, that ended up being my ultimate favorite drive system. And that came down to... Um, Two choices. I did choose. I did have, I think, four or five bikes through this um, this year that had the Bosch system in there, and it came down to the Orbe or Wild or the um, Pivot Shuttle AM. So, and you know, both are fabulous choices and fantastic bikes. And I did end up going then with the um, with the Shuttle AM as my as my as my choice here. 
it's just more well-rounded, a little bit livelier. It doesn't require as aggressive approach to ride it. The, the Orbea is more in the race um, enduro category, and it really comes alive at nine-tenths. You start to slow down a little bit. It's not quite as agreeable as the pivot. And I think that will make it more appealing, the pivot, that is, to a lot more riders out there. And it was more fun as well as a result of that, not having to require so much. Um, I, I guess you didn't have to be so on point every time you wrote it to really bring out the best in it. And I guess, you know, if it was even, if, if it was pretty close all the way around, you know, the pivot doesn't have internal headset routing and that's it. We're pendulum swings over the pivot, just like that. I know you'd like that, David. <laughs> that when I took that apart and put it back together, it just about cracked me. So, you know, that's not why I came off the lift. But if it came down to it, you know, something to think about. I'm really on your uh, on your team these days, anti-headset routing from the ones I've taken apart and crushed my soul. <laughs> when that first started showing up, Simon, headset routing, that is, I was just, even kind of before I'd really dealt with it, I was just sort of immediately a hater. And I think you're, you took a perhaps more reasonable and measured approach of being like, well, let's check it out and see. And I think we can conclusively say that I was right and it's terrible. We both hate it now that we have gotten a number of bikes through with it. Oh, it's going to be fa- It's going to be just fine if you never have to take it apart. <laughs> then it's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the famously uh, non-maintenance requiring mountain bikes, the things that just work forever without being touched or worked on anyway. That'll be, that'll go great. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thing is that it's, it just makes working on it harder. It's annoying for some other reasons. Like, for example, I've got the propane tie in for review right now, which has got headset cable routing. And um, one of the big limitations of that is that it requires a proprietary stem to um, mate cleanly with the special headset that it uses, or there's a an aftermarket collector that you can put on and then use a normal stem. But if you do that, then you have to disconnect the rear brake to run the hose through the new collector, and that's a pain. And the proprietary stem only comes in 35 or 50 millimeter lengths, so if you're like me and prefer a length in the middle, you're just kind of screwed, and so on and so forth. It's just causing a bunch of problems and as far as i'm concerned not really solving any so um i am hope it does me too i mean i think <laughs> there's some hope we've seen some a couple of companies who have rolled out a bike with headset routing and then walked it back like Komen saw with the tempo was headset only the the meta that followed it yep. has options for running either just standard internal or headset routing so don't do it, people. Don't do it. Yeah. We are a united front on this one. Headset routing is bad. <laughs> okay. yes. Anyway, that lengthy digression. <laughs> I knew that was I knew that was case, gonna spark a discussion. Yeah, in case you were wondering how David and Simon feel about internal headset routing. There you go. There you go. That's it's out there now. But um yeah, the the shuttle gets my gets the nod for me for my e-bike. Of, of the year, the shuttle AM, excuse me. I did test both the, the LT and the AM. Um, for its versatility, its fun factor, its Bosch drive system, uh, all around good implementation. It did have a 
kind of annoying little rattle that Pivot is working on trying to solve that. So I'm going to leave that at that. And um, but overall, yeah, it gets um, it gets the nod. You know, there was a there was another bike that was sneaking into my mind there, and that was the Santa Cruz Heckler SL, which is interesting because it's a low power and um, smaller batteried uh, EMTB. But ultimately, I had to go with the um, the Pivot because the Bosch drive system is just so refined. The, the app is fantastic. The user experience all the way around is great. It's hard to really catch it out or upset it. It's just a really good EMTB drive system. And I think, well, of all the bikes you have here, maybe it's the only one that two of us have ridden because you've been on that bike quite a bit too, Dylan. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was also thinking of nominating this bike, but given that I've been on far fewer e-bikes than you have, I think it's better coming coming from you here. But yeah, I was a really big fan of the Bosch drive system. Um, it was incredibly difficult for me to run that thing out of battery, even on you know big, long, steep rides, keeping that thing on turbo the whole time around Crested Butte. And yeah, it was just an incredibly versatile bike that was still pretty fun and agreeable at slower speeds, but you know it was really hard to find its its speed limit to at higher speeds. And and yeah, that was an an easy one to put miles on and a difficult one to send back over to to Plano Vista. Yeah, it's gone back to pivot too. I'm really, really sad about that. <laughs> yeah, full review for that coming pretty soon. Uh, and well, yeah, glad to hear you guys both got along with that one. For my final bike nomination, before we get into some of the smaller items, uh, I've got the Contra MC on my list. That's the high pivot steel enduro bike out of the Santa Cruz area that... Uh, Evan Turpin's put together. He's been on the podcast a couple times to talk about it. Um, first look on Flash Reviewer on the site. Full review will be coming real soon. But um, short version is that it is just a surprisingly efficient pedaling, 165 rear travel, enduro bike, the high pivot layout, 174, pretty long slack geometry, as you'd expect for the class of bike. And... What makes it stand out is that it does an incredible job of being really composed, just going a million miles an hour carrying speed through rough, fast sections of trail while still just not having too many of the quirks that have come up on a number of the other high pivot bikes that we spend time on over the years. And you know, high pivot bikes have kind of been popping up all over the place and are, you know, they're touted for their ability to carry speed and absorb square edge bumps and that kind of stuff. And the MC does that great. But a lot of the ones that I've been on have had some other quirks in terms of handling where it feels like the weight balance between the wheels shifts really dramatically as you load the suspension up in a corner or the braking performance is strange in one way or another typically just a lot of them have very high amounts of anti-rise so you have the suspension firming up quite a bit if you're having to drag your brakes through a rougher section say you're on something really steep where you don't have the ability to really let off for very long or if you are late breaking into a corner you have the suspension squatting down and the geometry gets a little funky and 
so on and so forth. And the MC's just really well polished in that it's predictable and consistent and doesn't do anything weird or challenging to manage, but still also just has unbelievable traction and composure when you're just blasting it through stuff. And combining that into a package that still pedals relatively efficiently, it's heavy, but in terms, you know, it'll grind up stuff plenty happily. And uh, for where I live and the riding I like doing involves a lot of just steep fire road climbs and then pointing back down something for a few thousand feet of vert. It's really special. And uh, this was frankly the easiest call for me to put on this list out of anything here. It's a really special bike. I'd like to ride it because um, it sounds fucking fantastic. It's yeah, it's special. Um, like I said, full review will be up on that very soon. That'll be actually kind of the yeah next bike review I'm putting out personally. So um, stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, it's pretty outstanding. And well, I guess that concludes our bike section of the program here. But um, we've got some other smaller items, apparel and what have you to touch on, too. So, Simon, uh, what's on your list for the smaller items? I had my new favorite shoe on there. I have my new favorite shoe on there, the Fox Union. I got that early season and then it turned into the only shoe I basically rode for uh, the rest of the year. You can see every review that I've posted has a picture of me with red shoes on. That's that's those shoes. <laughs> I like the styling. I, I really do like the red, actually. But you know, more about the performance of the shoes, it's just a very well-rounded shoe. Uh, very comfortable. It's got the right amount of stiffness. And, uh, you know, I opted for the lace-up version. does come in a boa version. And... Um, that one's less expensive, of course, and has less, less things to break on it as a result. And I think that was a good choice overall. There's a couple of times when I've been riding, I'm like, man, I'd like to reach down right now and tighten this a little bit. And of course, you can't do that with laces unless you're super talented, I suppose. But <laughs> That's not me. Uh, it comes with adjustable arch support, which I think is a unique thing that you can get with a shoe. Uh, I went in for the high arch support and throughout... The, you know, most of the year, that's what I rode. But then towards the end, I thought, well, I'm going to put one of my footbeds in there, one of my ski boot footbeds in there and see how that feels. And that's the one that's in there now. Because, you know, I'm sure like you guys have a lot of those laying around too from many different boot fittings. And they're basically usually a better footbed, uh, I think. And um, I like to put those in my, you know, it basically all my shoes when they've lost, they've, they're not in a ski boot anymore. I've got them in my Converse, got them in my bike shoes. They're kind of everywhere, but I don't think it really needed that. I just put that in there as an experiment to see how I did. But overall, the, you know, the, the footbed that it came with is pretty good and the adjustable art sports great. I've smashed into lots of stuff. It hasn't fallen apart. The sole's looking good. Uh, yeah. All systems go great shoe. Nice. Anything else? We have the Yeti Freeland short that we included in our um, in our MTB short roundup. I love this short, just like the shoes. You know, I kind of get something that I'm really into, and then basically ride that all the time. And because I use liners, it doesn't really doesn't really matter. I can just have that short and just 
put on a clean liner every day and ride it every day of the summer, basically. Wash it a couple of times and <laughs> good to go. Uh, lightweight, breathable. I've made a bit of a thing about liking quiet shorts. So it's really quiet. <laughs> so I like that. And yeah, it's full function in the in the pockets. I think you mentioned, David, you didn't like the, the iPhone pocket. And I was like, how could that be? Because when I put my phone in there, it's perfect. I don't even notice it's in there. Now, my gripe with that one was more the uh, zippered thigh vents. Um, it's got these pair of zippers that are kind of go diagonally across the top of the thigh that don't, they just open up to expose and opening in the short. They don't open up into a pocket or anything. And uh, I felt those just made that part of the short stiffer. And as someone who does not wear a chamois liner basically ever, just having that zipper backing rubbing against my thigh wasn't the most comfortable for me. So that was my complaint with those. Oh, yeah, that's right. Zipper thighs and zipper vents on the thighs, which I'm always like, what's the point? I mean, it's a short. <laughs> the air is going in anyway. It's like I've always thought that vents on a short are just kind of like, what's the point? Um, my own personal preference. I just don't ever really use them. Never really been riding and go, man, you know what I re- need right now is more air on my thighs. Yeah. I mean, they do, I guess, make a little bit of a difference in airflow, but I'm generally of the same opinion that it's a modest enough difference that it didn't strike me as being worth the annoyance at all. And, you know, I'd rather just have a lightweight, breathable short that doesn't have 18 zippers all over it to, facilitate extra vents so that was my take i think the best vent you can get on a pair of shorts is the fly zipper turn everyone every short comes with one or should pull it down turn the ac on and you're good to go good to go (laughs) i've got the uh specialized trail short has the the best built-in version of what you're describing dylan because instead of uh, there's no fly zipper. There's just a single button and like a little mesh baffle for the fly. And so it's just open all the time. But there's enough going on there to stop anything from flopping out, too. It's perfect. There you go. Wait, are you free balling in your shorts? And you say flopping out? <laughs> <laughs> I just needed to make that joke. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> well, I guess for kind of my soft goods nominations, the Acta trail knee pad comes up for me uh and basically the deal with those is that they are just my current favorite version of a kind of mid-weight trail knee pad that is comfortable to pedal in and breathes okay but also still does actual knee pad things pretty effectively too they're not the burliest most protective pad out there by any stretch but as a compromise of being kind of protective and still being comfortable to go pedal in for eight hours as well. They are better than anything else I've tried to date. Uh, there's, there's basically use a D3O insert that's removable to wash the pad um, and a little bit of extra D3O padding that's sewn in around the perimeter of the main insert over the knee. Um, they've got a nice a, they're kind of a sleeve style pad without any adjustable straps. They ride fairly high up the thigh, which tends to work better for me in terms of staying put and not chafing. There's a nice little elastic strap that goes over the top of the calf muscle to kind of keep that part of things secured. They just fit well, pretty well vented, reasonably durable, and 
um, all around super comfortable and super impressive as a just general purpose trail knee pad. And then the other biggest standout from my apparel testing over the year is the Villaggio trail access pant. It's kind of, again, their all around general purpose mountain bike pant. Um, mostly not anything super standout as far as the feature set goes. They're just cut really well. The fit is great. They have a super dialed phone pocket on the thigh that works, keeps the phone from bouncing around too much. Um, the materials are good. They've held up really well, including crashing them in a bit. Um, and the most notable feature, I guess, is that in, for a waist adjustment enclosure, they don't have anything built into the pants, but like all of Velocia's pants and shorts, they just come with an arcade belt that you use and works great. It's stretchy and comfortable, and unlike a lot of built-in waist adjusters on pants and shorts that I found, it doesn't just bunch the, the waist up in one specific spot on the hips or wherever it might be, and then kind of leave things still loose and weird elsewhere. It just adjusts evenly and nicely. And um, those have really become my go-to pant of late. They are very excellent. How's the venting? <laughs> <laughs> um, fine. They are kind of a mid-weight pant. They don't really have any built-in vents per se. They just have moderately breathable fabric. There's kind of a tougher heavier section of fabric over the knees and inside of the lower leg and then a little bit lighter weight, more breathable one through most of the rest of the pant. They're a little on the slim fitting side, but not wildly so. And uh, just kind of a good midweight deal. Um, but yeah, Dylan, anything else you want to call out on the apparel, soft goods, small stuff, or should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I didn't get a ton of soft goods to test this year mostly by choice because i was pretty busy with other things um and there's some things i got kind of late in the season that i could shout out but i want a little more time on so we'll, we'll have to save it for another time yeah always next year um well in that case we can wrap that up there but thanks again for the chat guys good to talk to you as always and uh looking forward to doing it again next time yeah happy holidays Cheers. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in your podcast provider of choice to keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Dylan and Simon for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll be back again next week, which will be the new year. So happy new year. Talk to you all soon. Bye, everybody.